Welcome to the Person and the Power podcast with Pastor Tim Johnson, as he invites us to cultivate a deep and profound relationship with the Holy Spirit of the living and loving God. After 25 years of ministry, Pastor Tim's desire is that all of us would experience both the Spirit's transformational intimacy and the supernatural activity in our daily lives. Now, here's Pastor Tim. So, I am a divorced man. I said it. Now, some of you know that. Some of you who know me well, some of you in my church, some of you who have heard me preach and teach before, um, you've heard me in a testimony, and part of my testimony, I got married when I was young and dumb, um, 21 years old, something like that, and was divorced by the time I was 25. Um, again, lot, I'm not going to go into details about what happened uh, with the divorce, uh, let's just suffice to say, uh, I certainly didn't help the situation in that marriage. Um, I was not a Christian. Uh, I was a Christian atheist beginning to work on how to be a better Christian atheist, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, just, I just was a, I was a, yeah, I was not a Christian, did not have a real relationship with Jesus Christ at all, and um, just lived my own sinful life and uh, and again, we I don't think either one of us knew exactly how to be married well. I'm certainly not going to put uh, all the blame on her at all. Um, uh, I regret the decisions I made and some of the you know the the dysfunction I brought into the marriage. And also, just you know, it was a relationship that had been in high school, and even to the point where, as um, crazy as it sounds. On the night, the week before I was to be married, and even the night of, the night before um, the, the the marriage day, the wedding day, I want to say three at least. I know it was three. At least three people, very, very, very close to me, told me I wasn't ready to get married. Whether it was, you know, that wasn't the right woman, or... I wasn't ready or neither one of us was ready or, you know, on and on. But whatever the case, three people, very, very, very close to me, three people who knew me probably the best at that point. Seriously, three people who probably knew me the best. All three had said at some point in time, either that week heading into the, heading up to the marriage, heading up to the wedding day or the night of. In fact, at one point, it was a 3 o'clock in the morning phone call of the wedding day. So 3 o'clock in the morning phone call, um, trying to say, hey, I just don't think... Now, at that point, I don't know what you do, right? I mean, that is literally like what movies are made out of, where you just... What do you do? Do you decide on your wedding day that you're just not ready? So did I go into it with some doubt? Anyway, I did, but also I went into, I, I went into it with some pretty um, headstrong resistance, almost like um, somebody tells me I can't do something. Yep, you're already there, right? I'm bound and determined. Uh, I'm going to do it. The heck with you. I'm going to do it. And I think even like uh, I was out running today and saw a biker. I haven't biked for a long time. Uh, biking for me is a pedaling biking, not not a, you know, rum rum. <laughs> so, but I saw a biker and I think, man, I miss biking. And one of the things I like about biking is the workout it gives you when you go up a hill. Um, but then there's another workout when 
you, there's a real difference between a tailwind and a headwind. So every biker knows this, that when you have a, you have a, you have a tailwind, you are going to fly. You really are. And, and it's going to be a whole lot easier. A headwind, you might as well be going up a hill because it's just really hard sometimes. But it's almost like you got to, now you got to tuck your head in. You got to kind of get up into the bike seat and you got to pedal like you've never pedaled if you're going to really fight that headwind well. And that's, I think, how I went into that first marriage is with a headwind. Against the headwind, there were people who told me I wasn't ready to get married. And there are people who told me that they didn't think that it was the right thing to get married or she was the right one or whatever. I mean, lots of different things. But three of the closest people in my life at that point said, had said the same thing. You think I should have listened, right? I didn't. But my point is, even as I shared a few minutes ago, I'm a divorced man. There's a real vulnerability there, even today. Now that's, what, been 35 years ago? Something like that? 35 years ago? Whatever it's been. 36 years ago, I've been married to Pam for 32, moving on to 33. So at least 35, 36 years ago. But there's still, if I'm not intentional, there is still a fear of shame to tell people that I'm divorced. And some people are just surprised. What? You're a pastor. Mm. A, haven't always been a pastor. And B, guess what? Pastors can still get divorced. Um, so here, listen, this podcast isn't necessarily to debate the um, what Jesus meant in those divorce passages, what Malachi means when God says, I hate divorce. By the way, make sure you check that context. He's not talking about weddings. Hmm. He's talking about something else when he talks about divorce. But again, it, there's the, the whole heart of this podcast is about the shame that we carry sometimes. And even we'll go there even right now because this powerful verse in Romans we're going to look at here in a few minutes is all about the fact that we don't have to carry condemnation. Come on. I mean, even, I mean, Romans starts with that. I mean, he starts, Paul starts, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to start this chapter. And it's a letter, so there weren't really chapters, but this part of the letter, therefore, there is, you can finish it, now, no, yep, I heard you, condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet, if we're not careful, there is a lot of shame. We carry shame. We carry condemnation. And we don't help that. We as humans don't help that. So again, and I'm, I'm not even sure. There, there may be some. There may be. Again, I've, I'm 59, moving on 60 years old. Uh, I've been a pastor for 26 years and a Christian about that long, um, a little bit longer. Went into pastor within about a year after I became a Christian. Um, so I've been around. And unfortunately, I've experienced it and I've watched it. I don't even know. I Honestly, I wonder by just stating that I'm a divorced man, I wonder how many people stop listening to this podcast. I, I really do. I, I wonder if even those who might finish the podcast, once they realize, once they've realized I'm a divorced man, does the perception change? Does their view of me change? And and I think again, as we um, 
I mean, this is this is a real deal when we um, this is a real deal when we experience shame and condemnation, and we and we allow that to to shape us. We allow that to taint us. We allow that to almost define our identity. So I get divorced. Uh, painful, just a painful, painful moment. Um, again, I certainly had my share of fault in, in all of that. But I remember calling my mama <laughs> and um, telling her the news. And I just bawled, bawled like a, a baby. And um, it was just, again, just it was a hard season to walk through, walk through it. Uh, certainly by the grace of God, I didn't know it at the time. Didn't give him any credit for that grace. But a lot of friends and a lot of support from family. But walking through that, uh, met Pam, uh, my wife of 32, almost 30, you know, will be 33 years in, in April of next year. And just uh, obviously this um, incredible, precious, Christian, godly woman became, you know, six years, seven years into that marriage. As I've shared before, I was still a Christian atheist, had been practicing that for a while. So I'd gotten really good at being a Christian atheist, right? And so go to church and uh, talk the talk, and but I don't walk the walk. And so I fool a lot of people, including my inner circle. I fooled a lot of people that I was actually a Christian. But I just know, I know, I, I know that I know that I know that I had no relationship with Christ, and I had, yeah, just had zero relationship with Christ. So we, um, I, we get married. Six, seven years, get born and born again, saved at the Promise Keepers in 1997. And so now I answer the call in the ministry in 1998. Okay. I become a pastor. I'm one, I'm a pastor of a, a couple of small churches in Kentucky, beautiful, wonderful churches. Oh my goodness. Just incredible um, time of watching God provide, watching God uh, encourage, equip, watching God just pour, pour, pour grace and love. Uh, that was also the time I was in seminary and uh, time that uh, we had two kids at the time and added a third before we got out of seminary. So, but there's a time at these precious, wonderful, beautiful, loving churches that I felt like I was supposed to do a Bible study. I think it was a Sunday school class or a Bible study, maybe a Bible study on marriage. I was supposed to do a Bible study on marriage, what God's ideal of marriage was and how... Uh, how to have a really godly marriage and the role of men and women in the marriage. And so, you know, kind of your typical stuff. <laughs> I say typical in this culture. and I have to, I have to whew, uh, uh, chuckle a little bit. Um, amen. Whew. Uh, not typical anymore. You're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. Uh, anyway, so as I announced that at the very first class, you know, we had several people show up for a Bible study on marriage. At the very first class, I said, hey, I just want to be transparent. I want to be open. I, I want to be very, very uh, vulnerable here, but I just want to be transparent with you. Kind of like I was at the beginning of this podcast. I'm divorced. I'm divorced. Been married to Pam for, you know, eight years now. But um, I was... I was married before and divorced, young and dumb, kind of like my phrase, young and dumb. And while 
several comments were positive. Several comments were loving and graceful. There were a few that were not. In fact, I do know of at least um, two people that that weren't going to be at that study because I was divorced. So you know what that brought upon me? Shame. Condemnation. I was guilty again. Listen to that. I was guilty again. So even in our court, um, even in our court, our human uh, court of law, even in our human judicial system, you cannot be tried twice. Listen to this. You cannot be tried twice for the same crime. I don't know the big fancy. My kids would know it. Olivia certainly would know it. She um, attended law school for a year. Taylor would know it. Mary, everybody, everybody, everybody listening might know that term. I can't think of that term, but there is a. It's a. I mean, it's a legal. Maybe it's a legal loophole, but it's a legal term and it's a legal reality that in our justice system today you cannot be tried for the same crime twice. Guess what? We Christians we don't practice that, do we? We really don't. We, we try each other over and over and over for the same crime that apparently we thought, as we read in Scripture, that we've been forgiven for, right? So felt that shame and felt that condemnation even at a local church that we loved. And they loved us. Oh, my goodness. But there were some comments and there were some reactions. Fast forward, I believe it was our first couple years here, maybe. Maybe it was in Greensburg. But I remember it was 18, 20 years ago. I won't say what. I don't want to. Again, I don't want to pinpoint any anything or anyone or any um, any institution. Pam was involved in a Bible study, uh, pretty nationally known, and, and it was a you know it was a Bible study, and and she was actually she'd been a part of it, and she, I think she was like like in her last year, or about ready to finish the last year of the cycle, and and she'd been in it for a while, and she loved it, and and. She was actually being asked at one point to be a leader of some kind in this Bible study. So she'd been in it for years, loved it, and really enjoyed it, and, and, and really learned a lot. And she was being asked to be a leader, and they had to ask her some questions before she could be a leader. And one of those questions is, are you or your husband divorced? And she, of course, said, well, I'm not, but he is. Guess what? She couldn't be a leader. Again, I'm not here to debate. Um, Some of you might say, amen. (laughs) And some of you are thinking, what? And and again, you you could probably find scripture to go either way on that. You really could. But at the same time, you know what I felt, right? Shame. I'd been divorced for years at this point. Years. I now am born again. I now have a great... Christian wife, I, I'm a Christian myself. I'm legit. I'm walking the walk now, not just talking the talk. And and we have a great marriage. We're working on a better marriage at that point, and 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 working, you know, serving the Lord in ministry, surrendering to the call. And yet, guess what? Condemnation and shame, because somebody decided that divorce apparently was one of the unpardonable sins. Um, interestingly and ironic enough. There are actually two reasons in that uh, Pam found out in that group that you couldn't really be a leader. Two two real reasons. One is if you were divorced, and second, if 
you were overweight. I, I, I've got to think sometimes, how do we pick these? How do we pick, how do we pick these sins that apparently are bigger than what Scripture tells us? How do we pick these? How do we say, this is the one that we're going to focus on? When God says, how about you just trust me with, your, with my grace and with my mercy, and we actually follow what it says, don't judge anyone. And so, anyway, just, again, the, the, the heart of this podcast is, if I have felt shame and condemnation for a divorce that I went through when I was 24, 25 years old, and again, that's been 35 years ago, um, I know there are people out there who still feel shame and guilt and condemnation on other things. I know, I know there are. And again, we can debate all day long if you want. I'm not going to at this podcast, but we can debate about divorce and marriage and marriage and divorce. But at the end of the day, I do read that there's only one unpardonable sin. And that unpardonable sin is really the rejection of the Holy Spirit which means you'll never be convicted of sin or convicted of your need for Jesus, so you can't come to the one, and you won't come to the one who can forgive you of all sin. So the only unpardonable sin is not coming to the one who can forgive your sins. <laughs> that's it, that's it, that's it. And I know I've had to work with other people about feeling like people have felt like they have committed the unpardonable sin, and some people have said, you know, I divorced. And, 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 and this, there's a lot of shame and guilt in my life, a lot of condemnation. Romans 8 this beautiful passage in 34, we, we're moving our way here to the end of, of chapter 8 here, several weeks in 6, 7, and 8. But here's, our, here's verse 34. I'm going to read three different translations, and they all three just have power to them. The first one is, uh, is found in the NLT that we've been looking at uh, every week here in the podcast. Paul is telling the Roman church after this litany of what shall we say about these wonderful things? If God's before us, who can be against us? 32 is, uh, did, since he did not spare his own son. Won't he not give us anything and everything else? The 33, last week, who dares accuse us? Remember Mrs. Armstrong and remember speaking? I wasn't talking. I wasn't talking in class, but I got spanked anyway. Who dares accuse us? You know. And now 34, this kind of rhetorical question. Who then will condemn us? That's how he starts with this rhetorical. It's the last of the rhetorical questions, in a sense. Uh, we start another section of rhetorical questions um, uh, next, time, next week. But, but this one, kind of in this grouping, who then will condemn us? Who? Who can condemn us? He goes on, no one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. Not done. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us, interceding for us. My goodness gracious, power-packed passage that helps us understand the power of Romans 8 verse 1. We we are no longer in condemnation. We're no longer under condemnation. We no longer have shame. Why? Because we're in Christ. And and how is that possible? Because Christ died for us, right? And and, and so listen to this translation. Um, Who, I love this, Who has the authority to condemn? This is from the voice translation. Who has the authority to condemn? Now listen to what this one says. I like this. Jesus the anointed who died. So who has the power to condemn us? Only Jesus. So um, uh, the the, the NLT has a different take uh, in some sense. It's still powerful. 
Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us. Same meaning, but different way of saying it. The voice, who has the authority to condemn? Jesus, the anointed who died. But more importantly, conquered death when he was raised to sit at the right hand of God, where he pleads on our behalf. So this translation gives us sense that Jesus has the power to condemn. And the only person to condemn us doesn't. Can you think of this adulterous woman? Can you think of John 8 when this adulterous woman is caught in the act of adultery set up by the Pharisees and Sadducees back in the law? Then they had to actually catch you in the act, which means you actually had to see it happen. They bring this woman out. They wanted her stone because the law says stone her. What are you going to do, Jesus? He stoops down. He writes something in the dirt. And Jesus says, okay, fine. All those who can condemn her can do so, but you got to be without sin. Basically, that's why he's saying, sure, condemn her but you got to be without sin. So go ahead. Stone by stone, but stone by stone fell to the ground, right? Footsteps by footsteps, they backed away. And then he, then remember what he said to the woman, who is left to condemn you? The answer, she said, no one, but remember what Jesus said? And neither do I, who's the only one who has the right and the power to condemn us, Jesus. And he does not. No one has the right to condemn us. No one has the power to condemn us. Only Jesus. And he does not. Not only does he not condemn us. Come on. He pleads for us. He intercedes for us. He died on our behalf and is praying for us. So we do not walk in shame and we do not walk in condemnation. In in the message translation, uh, I love this, uh, Eugene Peterson, uh, the late, I think the late Eugene Peterson, did he pass? I met him at seminary and when I was at Asbury years and years and years ago, just a sweet, sweet, precious man. I just loved to meet, just loved getting to talk to him a little bit. And he was so humble. And here he is, he had just finished uh, this, this transliteration, if you will, of the message. And some of you may not like the message and that's fine. I, I don't, I, I read all kinds of translations. I go from King James to message and everything in between. I have my favorites that I like to preach from and teach from, but, but I use them all to help me get a better idea and understanding of the full scripture. Listen to the message. Who would even, who would dare even to point a finger at us? Come on. Who would dare to even point a finger at us? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God right this very moment sticking up for us. Come on, Eugene Peterson. God bless you, man. We Who would even dare point a finger at us? The one who died for us, was raised to life for us, is, is in the presence of God at this very moment and is sticking up for us. I love it. Who would dare, who would point a finger at us? Well, the one who died for us and was raised to life for us is in the presence of God right now, sticking up for us. So no one can stick his their finger at us. No one can point a finger at us. Why? Because again, it goes back to a couple of verses earlier. Who's for us? Jesus is for us. Who's the only one that could condemn us? Jesus. And he does not condemn us because he saves us. He redeems us. He wants us to walk not in shame and not in condemnation, but in freedom and grace and mercy and love and power. Oh, I hope and pray you know. I really do. Um, last thing I'll say, I hope and pray that you know you don't have to walk in condemnation and shame. We had a Bible study this week at the church, and one of the words that is used only about four or five times in all of the New Testament 
is blotted out or erased. It can also mean obliterated. And it talks about our sins. Our sins are erased when it comes to Christ. Our sins are blotted out. Our sins are obliterated. But here's the, even, the, the, uh, even a better translation in the Greek. That Greek word for erase can mean this. To plaster over one mark with something more permanent. Our sin was never meant to be permanent. Our sin was never meant to be permanently used against us or held against us. Our sin is temporary. The blood of Jesus is permanent. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we give our lives over to Jesus and we plead the blood, the temporary sin is erased and the permanent blood is now in place. Do not walk in shame and do not walk in condemnation. Who can point a finger at you? No one. Because again, Jesus is for you. Be blessed. Walk in the freedom that you are called to walk in. Pastor Tim is the co-founder and teaching director of the Joshua Center, a leadership training ministry which provides deep biblical roots to great movements of God. He's also the senior pastor of Firmers Chapel, a country church by a creek, reaching 13 countries on four different continents for Jesus and his kingdom. Join us next time as we grow deeper in the person and the power.